This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to a bit of a bonus edition of Talking Dirty. Uh, essentially, as I'm sure you are feeling at this time of year, it's very exciting. Spring has sprung. The flomo is raging. And um, I've made quite a lot of planty purchases that I wanted to share. I know Alan's garden is absolutely bursting with treasures. So we thought in the midst of talking to wonderful people like the, the Picton Garden, and we've got some very exciting episodes just around the corner, we thought we would stop and take check of some of the plants that we're excited about at the moment. So over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking rather demure and in a very <laughs> smart library type drawing room, we have our handsome horticulturalist, Alan Edward Herbert Gray. And over in Cambridgeshire on this wonderful sunny morning, it was a cold start, but it's a beautiful day. We have spring has sprung herself. It's Thordus Maria Sophia Fredrickson, everybody. Now, I have been splurging, I think, more than ever before for the past few months. Uh, I mean, particularly at the moment, but it's it started a while back. I mean, this podcast has worn me down. We have talked about so many wonderful plants and I've just been diving into articles and books and websites and Instagram accounts. So before we get on to my sort of spring like treasures, I just wanted to share a couple of things that I've been nursing for the past couple of weeks. Um, Yes, I did have a bit of a, I lost myself down a Dibley's rabbit hole. And, um, and I just wanted to bring some of these along because they are wonderful plants. And if, you know, sometimes gardening, you go to a nursery and you buy a few plants and it's really expensive. And it's such an exciting thing to be able to buy these jumbo plugs. And for, you know, a reasonable amount of money, you get so many exciting things. So at the moment in my kitchen, <laughs> in a big sort of bowl thing like Jane Perone suggested to try and up the humidity. I've got all of these begonias growing on to go on my patio this summer. This is Listada, which I think I probably need to up the humidity a little bit because I've got a tiny bit of browning, but just these leaves are wonderful. And I'm sure you grow this, Alan, because you grow <laughs> so many things. But I, I, never... grow, I do grow an awful lot of begonias, but I have to say that mine are rather more brown around the leaves than yours are. So uh, <laughs> my obviously, it's obviously my humidity is not enough. Well, I, I've only had these for a, a couple of weeks, probably a few weeks. Um, oh, right. So they will deteriorate. <laughs> <laughs> but at the moment, they're doing quite well. And, and as with uh, so many of the begonias, absolutely beautiful underside. There is a little tip you can do for that. And I actually thought about doing it this morning because this morning I was spraying my orchids with the misting spray that you get especially for orchids. Um, there's one called orchid mist and mine was not that. Mine was another one. But um, I suddenly thought, well, why don't I just spray the begonias as I go past? You know, yeah. I, do, I, I spray the orchids about quite a couple of times a week. Um, and I've also got... On my, I've got the most pathetic looking old orchid you've ever seen. I think it's a, I, th I think it's a dendrobium. I'm not absolutely sure, um, but it's just a bundle of white sort of air roots flying everywhere and three or four green shoots. I water it when I think about it, really. <laughs> and it was given to me by um, a couple uh, who live in Cambridgeshire, actually. And I said to the husband, I said, well, what does it, you know, what will it grow in? He said, rubbish. I said, I beg your pardon. He said, any old rubbish, you know, it doesn't, doesn't need soil because it's an epiphyte. Um, and so I got, I did get orchid compost for it, whether it's correct or not, I don't know. And it hasn't flowered for about three or four years. So I'm hoping that my orchid mist is going to up the ante and it will flower again. Well, one day we probably should do an episode where we speak to uh, an orchid specialist, because when you buy one of the pre-made bags of orchid compost, whatever it's well, I know, just the person. <laughs> Yes, I Robin. Think, I think you do. Yeah, because yeah. it's. I mean, the, the recipes, like with anything, I suppose, if you're a specialist, the recipes for the soil mixes, the potting mixes are, um, are something else. Actually, that that is any specialist thing like this. I mean, take auriculars, for instance, Primula auriculars. Um, everybody that is a specialist has their own recipe and sometimes they'll share it with you. And most times they won't. And I think orchid people are the same. They, they, they would decry any um, 
commercially produced orchid compost in favour of their own. But they won't tell you how to make it. (laughs) Well, the auriculars, I know Jane Ann Walton is very generous with her auricular compost recipe. Yes, she is. Uh, So we can share that and you can go and check out her whole auricular special. Hopefully she'll be back on the podcast soon uh, with all kinds of lovely treasures. And you must follow her on Instagram because every day is is a school day and an inspiring day from Jane Ann's uh, Instagram Mm. account. Um, when it came to my begonias, I was trying to not buy too many that would be hard. I basically tried to avoid the Rex types, but there was one I couldn't. <laughs> there was no way I could resist Black Knight. And <laughs> it's it's just as wonderful in real life. I mean, obviously it's a baby, but it is so exciting in real life. And, you know, sometimes you see stuff on um on the internet and then it turns up and it's just not what you expected but this is everything I expected so I'm treasuring this and I'm trying so hard to keep it happy so it can look happy on my patio later in the year. Well I have to say one thing about Dibley's is that um, they they put on every year the most fantastic display at the Chelsea Flower Show and they probably do other flower shows as well I don't know Um, but you know if you go to the Chelsea Flower Show Last year, they were able to sell at the Chelsea Flower Show. And I don't know whether you remember, but I came away with three. You did. Um, um, just because they're so irresistible, because you can see what you see is the mother plant there, the big yeah. bosomy mother plant, you know, in all her glory. And that's the one you really want to take home. But you can't. So you have to bring a baby home with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm still trying, but what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, one of the ones we saw there which I've been coveting ever since, if I could extract it, was Little Brother Montgomery. Oh, yeah. It isn't actually so little at all, really, but does have some absolutely fantastic leaves. You know, Little Brother, little brother Montgomery makes a jolly good bedding plant for a shady area in the garden in the summer. That's what I'm hoping. Frost- <laughs> yeah, we're in all danger of frosts past. <laughs> and I bought a couple of Little, little <clears throat> Brother Montgomery's last year, and they are now probably 35 centimetres tall. Um you know, just over a foot, between a foot and 15 inches, I suppose. Um, and they have some lovely pink flowers on them as well. So I'm looking forward to using those outside in a bedding scheme next year. Yeah. Well, essentially, I have a lot of shade and I think I've not utilised the shade in my garden to its utmost. I've got a lovely mm. little sort of spring like shade, one little shade bed. But my patio is horribly shady most of the time. So this year I am embracing the shade and I'm trying to learn a lot more about ferns, begonias, all kinds of wonderful things so it's it's a year of learning um and actually i have got some impatiens upstairs that i forgot to bring down <laughs> my house well, the, next time I see you, the next time i see you thunder i must give you um a, a, it's a baby tree fern it's called a sciathia i think and i think it might be sciathia brownii um i have brought a couple into the house for the, for the it's not supposed to be as hardy as dixonia antarctica but i've had one out in the garden now for four years um, it hasn't grown much, I have to admit, but it's there in the fronds. It's producing new fronds. Um, so it, it, you never know. You see, if you've got, I've got some babies. So I, 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 one is earmarked for you. Um, exciting. That's something you can try on your patio, because if it grows for you, it will grow quite big, but not too big to obscure. Mm-hmm. But there'll still be room for Peter, put it that <laughs> That's all we need. He's very thin. You know, he doesn't need a lot of room. So they're the slightly different things. They're the things that I'm getting ready for my patio later in the year. But it has been so exciting in the Fredrickson household. The, the new raised bed is built in this sort of shady part of the garden and it doesn't get really any particular sun. One end gets a tiny bit of sun on it, but I, it's going to be an experiment in what will do well down the side of the house. And so I have just been heading over to places like Monk Silver. I've bought some things from Plants as Preference and I wanted to share them. And undoubtedly, Alan, they will then spur you off into all kinds of wonderful things that you've got growing in your garden. Um, I'm going to start with a pulmonaria. And I've got uh, some nice spotty leaved ones. In fact, they've had lots of babies. I think there's hardly anything cuter than a pulmonaria baby. Um, so I'm going to move one or two of those across to this new bed. But this one, whose flowers are coming up way brighter blue on the screen, but I'll, I'll put a photo up. This is blue pearl. And I just thought it's uh, it's leaves sort of veining the markings. It's got a limey, fresh uh, leaves with dark green veining on it. Um, I thought was really rather, rather nice. It is nice. I don't, I don't know it at all. I've not heard of it. 
This um, one came from Monk Silver. They're totally strokeable, these leaves. <laughs> but I haven't got any with leaves like this. All the pulmonarias I have are more spotty and speckled. So I just thought that would be a nice, nice thing to add into the mix. And it's a nice hearty pot as well. So it was a good, good value. It was yes, inexpensive, it Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if I'd bought that, you see, I'd be chopping it up into two straight away. <laughs> well, I am tempted to, but I quite like the idea of actually having a good clump because at the moment this bed is going to be very dotty because I've bought lots well, of small things. Leave it until next year. Yeah. But on the same theme, to go with that zesty, zingy theme, um, I spotted this geranium phaeum uh, with yes. Tim Fuller. And this one comes from a garden that you know, Alan. It's uh, Janet Muter's garden in Norfolk in yep. Brundle, the, the lake house. And so this one is called Brundle Gold. You can actually see the new foliage is very, very golden. There are quite a few geraniums that start life like this, um, hardy geraniums, and they really are such good value because the interest starts, pow, straight away. Some of them, some of the golden leaf forms fade to green as the summer progresses, but then you get the flowers. Yeah, I think this will fade and it won't be as zesty, but I thought at this time of year, particularly to complement that pulmonaria, uh, that would be nice. And actually, I'm a little bit short on geraniums in this garden. I don't know why, because I, I love them. So clearly... Something else I must dig up for you. It's called Bowles Golden Grass. Um, <laughs> and, it, and again, it loves the shade, but it is that, that bright, acidic yellow that you get in early spring. It's lovely. And it seeds around gently, and you can tell the seedlings immediately because they are gold like their mum and dad's, you know, so they're... They're, they're not, they don't sort of, you won't weed them out accidentally. Um, talking of grasses that seed themselves around freely, um, I've been raiding my mother's garden, which is where I used to garden. So I've put loads of things in there years ago, which I've now been bringing over to this garden. And um, is it an Aerogrostis topness burgundy? Mm. Which just, I mean, it possibly seeds a bit more than anyone would want, but it, <laughs> it, it really... I dug I dug a big clump up and I put it in a pot and it's it's so resilient that you honestly wouldn't tell anything bad had happened to it. It looks like it's been growing in this pot. Big old clump wrenched out of the ground, shoved in a pot. Looks like nothing bad has happened. And it, it's it, typical of you thought it's look, treat it rough, tell it nothing. And it, it blooms for you. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I was just going to say that some of those grasses that make that wonderful arching shape. They do look good in tall pots, but the only problem is, of course, tall pots can get blown over. But I was just going to solve that problem with a bit of practicality. But quite often on old Victorian houses, they had chimney pots and chimney pots would probably be about 18 inches tall. And they were narrow at the top and wider at the bottom, probably square. I've got a couple in the garden. I, I use them for storing canes in, actually, um, <laughs> you know, bamboo canes in. But I mean, they make marvellous um, containers for um a grass that arches like that. Yeah, well, I'm trying to work out where to put this grass because my mum had so many of them seeded around. I thought, well, I'll pinch one of those. And one was right in front of the gate. So obviously, you know, mm. I like things seeding into paths, but it is always handy to be able to get through gates. So I, uh, I dug that one out. Um, but it does this lovely, it has these lovely red flush leaves and it needs to go somewhere nice. But equally, maybe a pot is the place for it. Maybe. Well, I, mean, I was just thinking it could be dreamy on the patio, couldn't it? It could be. And also it's, it seems to be, I don't know if it, what it does in sunshine, but it seems to be very tolerant of shade because it's seeded itself around underneath all the trees um, at the bottom of my mum's garden. So clearly it's a, it's a good doer in the shade. That's where it's mm. seeded itself. So another winner for a, for a shady area. And talking of, um, you saw your canes in a, a, a chimney pot. I saw yeah. on Jane Ann Walton's Instagram, she was sort of, she was a bit sad about the fact that you have to cut back your corners. To, to get your nice fresh stems, you cut things like corners back. And it does seem like a shame, you know, when they're looking so fabulous and they're catching the, the light to cut them back. So she puts them into containers in the garden so that you can still keep that wonderful bright colour of the stems and not just, you know, put it away. And obviously some of them are used as stakes, but I thought that was a brilliant idea. Well, I've cut all ours back now, I have to say. And it is a rather sad thing when you go um, and, you know, at the end of winter, beginning of spring, you suddenly see all the wonderful coloured stems gone. Um, but the great thing that we've done is we've saved them all and we've bundled them up, tied them up, and we're going to use them as plant supports throughout the garden. So, you know, they, they endure. They have their season to carry on with. So 
I think that's uh, that's quite a nice thing to do, actually. Mm. It's um, one thing I always get wrong as a you know a much newer gardener than some uh, is is staking and trying to stake the right things at the right time because you always want to get in there early. Trying to stake them after the event is is never as successful. No, it isn't. But I mean, the thing I think the thing is, if you want to sort of think about staking. And if you've got a small garden or a piece of garden that you see on a regular basis, and it, it is to take a tip from um, some other gardens, um, the gardens at West Dean, I know they have they have some hazel that they coppice regularly, and they make kind of sculptures, and then they put the, they put hazel twigs around a plant, and then they'll bend them over and they'll tie them so that you've got this kind of it's a bit like a crab pot, you know, yeah. over the top of your plants for the plants to grow through. But the great thing is to try and make it look as decorative as possible. I think one of the things they did at Hyde Hall this year, they have some willows that they actually grow for the coloured stems, but they they had woven the coloured stems into various shapes whilst they're still alive on yeah. the willow. They'll probably, they'll coppice them probably within the next few weeks, I expect. But, you know, that kind of makes a sort of a, a weird and wonderful sculpture. It's, it's a clever thing to do. Yeah, and um, I think I saw a much bigger version. I'm sure I saw something like that at Chatsworth, but they they made almost like garden sculptures out of them around fruit trees and things. They were huge structures, but it was sort of taking yeah. your your crab pot. Never guess you're on the coast, would we? <laughs> taking that to a massive scale. <laughs> Where to go next? Well, let's do a marmite plant next. I think you are a fan of these. Um, go for the, the lesser celandines the Ficaria <laughs> fan club and we, we covered some of these with the Picton garden in fact so we chatted to Helen and Ross and oh my was I in love with crimson damson and I was very excited to find it this weekend so it's a little double celandine and there, I know that there are going to be people just just crying like why are you putting these in your garden and this one in particular I suppose because it doesn't have a huge amount of leaf marking but its flowers are absolutely divine these lovely little doubles with dark backs to the petals a sort of I don't know a dark violet flush to the back of a creamy petal I I'm happy for that to seed itself around. Well, we, we were talking to Helen and Ross of the Picton Garden the other day about copper knob. Yes. Um, and I was delighted when I went out and found that the three copper knob that I planted last year have reappeared. So they are still there. Um, but there's, there is a, a very large celandine for people with larger gardens. But I would be wary of them because... Not all of them do it. I mean, copper knob doesn't do it. Double mud doesn't do it. Um, but the 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 lesser celandine and the greater celandine, they both spread like the very devil himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bought my first one last year. It was a bit of an experiment. And I, it might be something like Lambrook variegated or something like that. And... Um, and, I, and obviously it had been dormant, so I hadn't seen it. And I thought, well, maybe it's not still there. And went and bought another one and then realised not only has it come back, but I'm fairly certain it has seeded around. So I'm probably <laughs> about to have a, a massive you know, regret about, about this. You no, know, swap, swap it for something with somebody else. Well, exactly. And also, I, I, what I'm aiming for are lovely carpets of different types of foliage. So, hmm. um, And I've got some cyclamen and coon to add in. I feel I like... It's a great thing to say about celandines while we're, we're... I know you're still talking about them, but... The great thing about them is that they're very early to appear and they're very early to disappear. Yes. So they're great for growing under shrubs that are deciduous and things like that. I was doing a piece of garden yesterday and I was looking at the, it's a heptacodium, um, which is a late flowering, small tree, large shrub, um, white flowers in probably August, September, something like that, maybe around that time anyway. And it's nice to have shrubs in your garden that flower later in the year. Um, and I think... I was looking at it and thinking, I'm planting right up to the trunk of this. I'm going to have to take some of these lower branches off. I haven't done it yet, but I think I will now. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I, because we're talking about planting in layers, aren't we? Yeah. Which I, I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm learning. I mean, you know, I'm not there yet. <laughs> well, you start with the earliest. And, you know, I mean, if you, all the plants that you're talking about, you can have snowdrops, aconites, scillas, um, Pushkinias, as they used to be called. I can't remember what they're called now. They're probably in the Scylla group or something like that. Um, very early crocus. You can have all of these things underneath there, um, underneath your 
middle layer, shall we say, because we haven't got to the top layer yet. There will be one. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> but you, all those early things that can be there first and then they can they can be allowed to go to sleep for the summer while something else takes over. I think this is the really exciting thing as you learn more about gardening is, is utilising your space and layering. And, mm. and I, you know, it takes a while to learn and I'm not sure I have got all my layers ready yet. Also, you always need to leave space to add. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it is exciting learning how you can combine things. Well, actually, I, I'd accidentally, I think I planted a grass on top of my celandine uh, last year because it had gone away. And that's, you know, luckily it didn't resent that too much. But it's now it's nice because they're intermingling. So um, I have got another uh, celandine. This one is, is very similar to Crimson Damson, but single. And it's blueberries and cream. So it's got blue backs and then a cream single flower so uh, and a, a nice foliage too yes it, this one has got slightly more interesting foliage some, some kind of black line down the middle and some silver speckling i've got all the correct terminology black lines down the middle <laughs> um now corydalis i do not have as many corydalis as i'd like i'm sure i will amend that over time and i love the blue ones but i haven't actually seen any blue ones yet so i picked up this fantastically floriferous little Corydalis from Monk Silver. And I've seen this in the Picton Garden on their Instagram. This is Beth Evans, mm. who is rather nice, particularly because I picked up this Anemone White Splendor and I thought they went nicely together, particularly with the backs of the Anemone petals. So these will be planted near each other in my new, uh, new bed. But I mean, there are so many Corydalis on my Flomo list, Alan, and you have loads. <laughs> you have loads of lovely ones at East Truston. Well, I have some. I don't know that I have loads at natural fact, but I was looking the other day in a woodland path, which I, uh, and I planted three rather special ones, and three rather special ones could easily be divided, or at least one of them could. It's a blue one. <laughs> I did find the, the, the name of one of them particularly interesting, um, and it was Corydalis flexuosa uh, Tori MP. Ah, yes. <laughs> and it's called Tori MP because it just goes on and on and on. Flowering. <laughs> that is a good one. Um, I know Jimmy's always raving about just Calicosa as well, yeah. uh, Jimmy Blake. So uh, there, are, there are just so many good Corydalis and lots with lovely chocolatey foliage. It's hard to know where to start, really. But I saw I saw Beth and I thought Beth was rather lovely. So we got Beth. Um and, oh, I, I'm going to do an experiment. I have been after uh, Chrysosplenium uh, macrophyllum. Well, I've been coveting it and I've been worried about planting it because I, th I think I'm right in saying, Alan, this can be quite keen. It can be quite a spreader. It can be. It's, it's, it's a lover of damp soils. Um, but don't let that put you off because here at East Russell, we don't have damp soils. And it has been, shall we say, um, happy in its situation so much so that it's spread quite a lot <laughs> well this it is, is but it is a lovely plant because it, again it's so early and it's under deciduous shrubs and it covers the ground and it's just a very attractive I mean not only the flowers are interesting and attractive with the green but the, look at the tints on the yeah. foliage there. the the it's new foliage coming through is it's got like a slightly lilac-y chocolate thing and there are little sort of pink hairs on the on them as well um and yeah the the leaves if you're like me, you like these sorts of flowers. I mean, um, mm. but yes, I probably should have talked to you before I did this because my experiment was, and the speculation when I bought this was, because I don't have a damp position for it, it might not spread as keenly as it does in some more moist places. But of course, that's yet to be seen. And maybe I'm about to be overrun, but I don't really mind. I don't mind a, a keen spreading plant. So... <laughs> We'll see. I'll keep you we'll posted. <laughs> and, and then I suppose I should finish with some primulas. Now, I, I really want more primulas. The, the, I don't even know which. Um, but you have been helping me out by adding some to my collection. This, I'm never going to say it right, but it's, I think, a kind of Greek form of primula vulgaris. Uh, tegetos, tegetos. Yeah, I, I, I originally came from Greece and it came via um, Christine, Lady Skelmersdale from Broadly Bulbs. Um, and she told me that it is in actual fact a sterile prim, primrose. 
Um, and it begins flowering very, very early, often around Christmas time. And because it's sterile, it just produces more and more and more flowers um, because it's trying to set seed and it doesn't set seed, so eventually gives up. But the only way of actually propagating it is by division. Now, as with all primulas, division is a very, very good thing because they tend to get old and woody and sort of rooty and um, they become less productive if they're not divided every two or three years. Um, so this one gets divided regularly and, and you, you were a benefit from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, I'd, if I'd known you wanted one, I could have given you one. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I snuck by the plant cells area when Alan wasn't looking and bought some things, including Francisca, which isn't out yet, uh, but I have really wanted ever since I first saw it in your garden. And it's that absolute green, just, just green flower, um, wonderful thing. Um, which it I would have brought along. That's a, that's a strange thing because it has it has flowers that are bracteose, um, and that means that the petals are not. They're more the texture of a leaf, bracteose. Uh, so they're like bracts rather than proper petals. Um, and Primula uh, Francisca, she actually flowers from, well, I suppose middle of March, beginning of April, right the way through until July. I mean, you're probably fed up with it by then. I don't know, but but it is fascinating <laughs> because flowers being brachios, they last so, for so much longer. In the similar way to to how hellebore flowers last long after they 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 should be, because the petals are sort of more brachios. Um, and that's a quite a fascinating thing, actually. Yeah, but I am very excited for it to open. It has got buds. It's it's coming. Yeah. It's it's not. It's uh, by the time this podcast makes out into the world, it probably will have arrived. Um, we needed to record this so I can plant <laughs> plant all these things and not just keep them in a holding pen. But this I picked up on your snowdrop day when it was in full flower, and it hasn't relented. It's just still going. Exactly, it's marvelous. And the other thing I got is this, which I think was dug up from your garden, which originally came from Barnhaven and, and is gonna not pick up very well, I think on the camera. So I will make sure there's a, a photo on the video and on the on the social media, but it's, um, it's a little double and it's a very pale kind of icy blue mm. and it's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> One thing to watch out with these primulas is the fact that um, that horrible, evil thing evil weevil. Vine weevil the vine weevil they love well i've got a tale to tell about this because richard hobbs as you know he's a great friend of ours and also a great plantsman he had a lovely old um polyanthus type primula for sale on one of his uh stalls once and i bought it and it's just called tomato red and i really bought it for as much as anything because my grandmother had a, had a, a polyanthus which she called tomato red um and i found my pot of it yesterday um, and what I'd actually, well, I found almost 20 pots of it because what I'd done is I brought it home and I planted it in the garden and in the autumn I divided it um, and I put 20 pots of it and every single pot was infested with vine weevil. So although my plants look perfectly happy, they have very little root. I mean, they've gone into the garden now and they will be fine. Um, probably not as good this year as they will be in, in other years. Um, but in actual fact, um, the thing is, you know, you've got to watch that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's much more much more prime, uh, prone to attacking them in pots than they are in the garden for some reason. I don't know why, but um, it's something to watch. Yeah. Um, but if you if it happens to you, I mean, same with hookahs, uh, they'll, they'll go for hucris and, believe it or not, semper vivens. Yeah. If you suddenly find that, you know, the, 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 you can pull the plant off the pot and the pot stays, the soil stays there, just knock the soil out, ripple it onto the ground, and you'll see these little fat, fat creamy grubs with a brown head. Um, I just leave them on the ground and people are going to say, well, they'll, they'll, they'll bury themselves in a hatch or, so, or, you know, and poop eight or something. But natural fact, I find that, you know, wherever I'm gardening, there's nearly always a robin. Yeah. And, and robins actually love um, the, these, these grubs. So they'll soon clear them up for you. Incidentally, but, it was quite funny. Yes, uh, yesterday or the day before, I was looking out of the window and there's this and the dog saw me looking, jumped up on the chair to see what I was looking at. And there was this robin flying with a feather in its mouth. So it's obviously building a nest right next to my, my window. Oh. Um, it's, it's going to be a source of fascination for the dogs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. 
I always call it pup TV when uh, the dog's in her basket by the kitchen window looking out onto the patio where all of the birds hop around yeah. and, you know, scrubble around in the pots to try and find bits and bobs to eat. And she just sits there watching yeah. them all. <laughs> um, now, I have, I think I've exhausted my show and tell. Um, obviously, your garden, it was 32 acres, is a bit much to go around snipping bits and bobs. <laughs> but I know that it's it's absolutely bursting with treasures at the moment. Oh, it is. I mean, it, 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 every day there is something um, new or, or something or, or a plant that's flowering is getting even better, even better, even better. And that's just so exciting. It's so lovely. I mean, lots of all that I've been collecting small narcissi for years and years. I planted some, some cyclaminius, just a straight cyclaminius out yesterday and a lovely little bulbacodium as well. And I, like you, was planting with other things. And I had um, anemone nemorosa bestival, I think, and anemone nemorosa robinsoniana. Um, and both of those, I had five pots of those each, um, which came from 12 nuns nursery in actual fact. Um, you can buy those as, as very reasonably priced corms in the autumn and, and plant them then. But I prefer to do my composition a bit like you're doing yours when, mm. when you've got something you can see because you tend to forget what you've planted where. <laughs> Um, and I was doing these as a front of a border um, and, and, and I said the barbacodium narcissi as well, you know, the, the one with a very flared trumpet. Um, I want those to sort of kind of naturalise and mingle together to be the early um, part of the orchestra, if you like. And then the other things that are planted slightly behind it will come forward and um, let them have a nice shady rest throughout the summer. I am being hounded wherever I go, uh, whether it's to a, a nursery or to look on uh, in a magazine or on Instagram. Uh, Arctic is Arctic bells the the narcissus yes, yes. the yeah. It's just everywhere, yeah. and it's so beautiful. And I don't have it, and I tend to try and buy bulbs as bulbs rather than yeah. kind of in the green, just to save a bit of money. Well, if, you're buying, if you're buying bulbacodiums, do make sure that you um, do your research because some of them are not hardy in yeah. this country. Um, but you need to do, get the hardy ones. And I mean, it's quite interesting. Christopher Lloyd wrote, writing about planting bulbacodiums near the horse pan, pond at Great Dixter and how they'd settled into this lovely routine of themselves seeding around. And, you know, and, and I think they're in grass there. But I mean, if you're planting bulbs in grass, if the grass is too vigorous, that it, it will hinder the growth of the bulb. So, you know, you want grass that's sparse grass. <laughs> I mean, this year I've got, they're not out yet, but I've I treated myself to a few uh, things from Scamps after we recorded our Narcissus special last year. And I would have brought them in, but yeah, there's nothing, it's just leaves to look at at the moment. Um, oh. And uh, well, they've been in a quite a cool spot. So I don't know if other people's out, but the, but I've got mine to look forward to. A bit like my man, Aso Willow. It's in a shady spot. And so it's always later than everybody else's. And I think it's probably because it doesn't get much warmth. So it just holds it back a little bit. Well, there's something to be said for that, because I remember somebody coming to the garden a few weeks ago and they said, oh, that I can't remember what it was now. Oh, mine hasn't bloomed yet, but I've got mine to look forward to, haven't I? <laughs> well, it does. The sense of anticipation does build quite substantially, but then I get to enjoy it. So, um, yeah, by the time you're you're listening to and watching this, it won't be pink and fluffy anymore. The great thing about but... that we've been talking about is that they're infinitely divisible. Dividable, dividable. Um, so that, you know, you don't really, if you've got a little bit of patience, you don't ne really need more than one or two if, you, if you're going to sort of pull them apart and divide them. Um, and I quite often do that, even with primulas, when they're in flower, I take the flowers off um, and I divide them into individual crowns and make sure they go into, into a nice pot. And I usually put them in a shady spot behind the greenhouse for the summer and they, they, they get enough water there because um, they're next to the water butt so I can keep my eye on them um, and and you know providing that wretched vine weevil doesn't get into them they will be absolutely fine um, but there's a good way of increasing your stock of plants in the same way as you can do it with Corydalis as well um, and I think Corydalis Beth Evans you can buy wholesale um, so you know and another good thing about some of these small bulbs is that if you're planting an area, you want it to be sort of fairly naturalistic and you buy small bulbs, you could just buy them by the hundred. And I'm not being extravagant when I say that, but, you know, and you can spr sprinkle them on the ground and then you can mulch over the top of them with garden compost. Job done. <laughs> just you can wait for your tapestry to, to emerge in the spring. Oh. I know it works because we've done it here. 
I will be doing that one day when my garden is not quite as pocket sized as it is at the moment. <laughs> but it is very satisfying dividing things. And I mean, I say I raided my mum's garden. It was wonderful to have put things in. I mean, um, is it Lamia Morva or Lamia Morvala, which yeah. I managed to just retro clump of that away. Again, treat it mean. It, it doesn't even look like anything bad has happened to it. It just, just took a kind of separate bit of it away and put it in a pot ready to go well, if in you get them early enough if you get them early enough that's fine when the shoots are very low down but if you want to do it later and there's no reason why you can't go on dividing plants right up until the end of may um if you want to do it later sometimes it's as well to cut the top growth back it will re-emerge and but it just gives the plant enough time to make some fresh roots before it makes some fresh top growth yeah it works very really well yeah, I mean, we divided hostas as late as May um, and they show no signs of, of worrying about it at all. But whenever I grow hostas and I grow them in pots because they look lovely, that's something else for your patio. Um, I've got a lovely one, which would I think you'd like because it's all those lovely limey colours that you're talking about. <laughs> and it's called war paint. And I've got two big pots of that. Now, we've got to extricate it from the pots. Um, because it, it's it's the devil's own job to try and get it out of terracotta <laughs> pots. Um, but what we're going to try, we've done it before with agapanthus, we're going to try using the pressure washer around the rim of the pot to, to loosen the soil a little bit in the hope that we can get, get uh, either a saw or a knife in there and do some chopping. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, pressure washer, great idea. It's normally me with like yeah. having stolen a bread knife or something. <laughs> <Trying> <laughs> extricate extricate something yeah i think there is a tool like a a giant bread knife i believe that you can get it from uh, jake hobson i think and it is expressly designed for going around the rims of uh, edges of uh, pots to loosen the roots we all need one of those in our lives everything Yeah. Uh, talking of, um, of of primulas again, before we leave primulas, in fact, they may be coming back for Flomo. Um, but I have one I, before we started the podcast, I had to sort of run it past you uh, to, to double check its name, which I've now immediately forgotten. But it's a little unnamed thing. I've lost its label and it is looking lovely in my little shade bed at the moment. Have you found I its think, name? <laughs> I think it's Garyard Guinevere. Yeah, that does ring a bell. It's a it's a rather... It's a quite posh and romantic sounding name, isn't it? Garyard Guinevere. <laughs> like Knights, the Knights of the Round, of the round, round table. table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Queen <laughs> Guinevere. fable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a rather romantic little flower, a yellow centre, these sort of blushing pink flowers, slightly dark foliage. I'm very taken with it. And what's nice, I'd love to say it was all planned, but I've got this little sort of area of the shade bed. I've got a dark hellebore. I've got a kind of pickety, dark-edged paler hellebore. I've got the Honestly Somerset Marble from Monk Silver, which has got lovely dark purpley leaves. There's a Creeping Ajuga, whose name I've forgotten, but it's a tri- kind of a purple cream variegated thing, which could be a bit gaudy, but I think in the shade works really nicely. And they all complement each other so nicely. So uh, I'm, I'd love to say I planned it down to the last little you know detail but it's sort of come together against me (laughs) like I didn't plan it it's just happened well I think things like that do actually um and it's lovely when it does happen and I'm just going to say thank you Thordis because you've just reminded me of the name of the Lunaria which Somerset Marble which I completely forgot (laughs) I bought I think three or four uh, tiny plants from Joe uh, Monksell the nursery last year and they made some whopping great beefy plants. And um, I'm looking forward to them flowering this year. Um, back to the primulas. There's a whole range of primulas. I remember we had, when I was a child, we had a double primrose, a lilac flower double primrose. And I think it was called Mari Cruz, M-A-R-I-E-C-R-O-U-S-S-E, I think. Um, I've still got it in the garden. And... Uh, but that is one that needs frequent division because that does, you know, soon go downhill. And there's another one which is single flowered, which is uh, same colour, lovely mauve colour, and it's Primula Sibthorpii. Mm. Um, and there's a whole range of these. And in actual fact, um, Monk Silver Nursery is a very good source of them because I know that he has, I've had them from him and I've still got them in the garden. There's some lovely early flowering um, and rather delicate uh, little Sibthorpii types. Um, and some with polyanthus type flowers where they're on the bunch on a stem. Yeah. Um, and one of the things we've done this year, I did unbeknownst 
I didn't I didn't know what was going to happen or anything, but we did grow lots of uh, yellow polyanthus and lots of blue polyanthus. And I yellow and blue is a combination that I love. Um, but I put, planted a cistern in our front courtyard with yellow and blue polyanthus. And then we, we're supporting the Ukraine. Right. So here we are. Yellow and blue. Uh, not that I knew. Yellow and blue. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to precipitate such but a. How lovely that, you know, by by good fortune, it's yeah, uh, you, you yeah. have them to hand. And we did on our plant sales area, we have a counter on the on the potting shed and we did a blue and a yellow um, combination the other day of all the plants that we've got with blue and yellow flowers, including that lovely little double blue Barnhaven, which is what is that called, by the well, way? Well, at the moment, it says Barnhaven blue. I think it came from Barnhaven as seed. As a blue. Um, yeah. Well, they have Barnhaven blues, blues and they use yeah. lots of different blues in there. Yeah. Um, there's there is another one which is called. I think blue tiger. It's not uh, uh, with with stripes on the yeah, petals. Yes, so this. I'm looking. It's it's not really. It's not really striped. I mean, there's sort uh, of a bit of a, a gentle little bit of yeah. low contrast striping going on, but it's not quite striped. Well, there wasn't. There was a lovely one a few years ago, which incidentally began life as a primrose, and then occasionally, for some strange reason, with the gen genetics within it, it would produce a polyanthus type flower head. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> And that was called um, tie-dye, primula tie-dye. Oh, yeah. um, and I think there's another one called blue denim, which is very, very similar. Um, and, you know, they're infinitely variable. Very, um, I'll tell you a tale. I'll tell you a tale. When I was a small child, uh, I had an uncle called Bernard. And Bernard said, I was talking to him about coloured primroses one day. And he said, well, you know how to make primroses change colour, don't you? And I said, no. And he said, well, what you have to do is you have to go into the field or the meadow and you gather up as many cow packs as you can and you put them in the soil, dig a hole and put them in the soil. And then you plant a clump of primroses upside down on top and cover it with soil. And the next year they will come up pink. <laughs> because I fell for this about eight or nine years old. Did it work? No, it didn't <laughs> Oh, if only it was that easy. Whenever I go past gardens where people have had various different kind of little primulas self-seeding and you get all those lovely different pinky, peachy, creamy shades, I always covet it massively. If only all I had to do was plant it upside down on a cow pat. <laughs> well, I think sometimes, you know, self-sowing primulas are a boon. Um, but I think to keep the colour looking vibrant in the garden you you have to weed out those that are that are yeah. too dirty looking because otherwise they will all revert to being dirty looking primroses or polyanthus or whatever yeah but it is nice to actually keep the seed from i've got some old polyanthus that are growing in um in grass and it's sparse grass as we said before um, and I must remember this year to save the seed. I always forget. And we get a few seedlings in the grass, but not nearly as many as I, if I save them, like I used to do with my grandmother, we used to mark any primulas that we thought were worth saving. We had a piece of green, a little ball of green wool, and we used to tie this around the piece around the stems of the plants we wanted to save. And then we'd save them. And we, when the, as soon as the seed was starting to ripen, we'd cut them off and we'd hang them upside down in a brown paper bag but didn't close the bag. We just hung them up. We hung, hung them on a nail at the back wall of the greenhouse and the bunch inside the brown paper bag. And then the, when the seeds dropped into the brown paper bag, we'd sow them immediately. Uh, didn't see any results of any new growth until the following year, uh, which is the natural time for germination. And I think, you know, that seed has to go through a period of stratification, which means that it's got some inhibitors on the seed that stop it germinating too early. And so they don't germinate until they're ready, which would be the following spring. But it's a lovely thing to do. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because it brings me on to my FLOMO. Uh, it's that, that flower, that plant, particularly a flower at the moment, which is giving you uh, a fear of missing out. And I know we can't order plants from Barnhaven at the moment because they're based in France, but I spent a long time coveting things on the Barnhaven website. And then Jane Ann Walton pointed out, why don't I just buy the seed, particularly all the lovely hose and hose and Jack and the green types that they have that aren't massively available. Um, so I, I think I'm going to get some seed. Like you were saying, you've got your Barnhaven blues. You can get all kinds mm. of different primula seed. And I think you probably still can get that scent across. I'll have to double check. Don't don't quote me on it. Um, 
But even if I can't yeah. get it from Barnhaven, get 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 some Primula seed and have a bit of an experiment because I what I dream of is is a lovely mix. And so you're not going to get completely true things uh, from from some of the seeds. So I think that's what what's on my flomo. Well, you you just talked about something there that's very interesting, and that is. Um, the double flowered primroses, which are jack in the green. Now, jack in the green flowers, they have a, behind the flower, immediately behind the flower, they have a little ring of tiny leaves, which like an like Elizabethan collar, a little an Elizabethan ruff. Um, and recently plant breeders over the past few years have been perfecting a strain of these primroses. Um, and I bought some. I sort of looked at them and I thought, do I like them or not? <laughs> But the reason was because they were massed all in one colour. There was all the reds together, the blues together, the mauves together, the creams together, um, and something very hideous, which is kind of pink apricot and um, cream. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't like that one anyway. But I bought some and I did actually put them in the garden. Um, they're in the winter garden. And I looked at them yesterday, in actual fact, and they are doing exceptionally well. So they do make good garden plants, um, you know, they're sold in pots by garden centres and farm shops and places like that, as well as nurseries. Um, and they do make exceptionally good garden plants. So, you know, if you if you see one that you like, do get it. You probably find that they're sterile. They won't set seed. So, again, division is the way forward. Yeah. And all of these things are, are plants that are they might tolerate some, but they're going to want to stay moist during the hotter weather. I mean, I'm planning yes. to experiment with mine in the shade anyway, but they are the sorts of plants that aren't going to want to dry out. No, that, well, that's that's true. I mean, there's um, and let's face it, however dry some plants get, they will revive, but most of them will die <laughs> if they're too dry. So we know water is in a, is a, an essential part of their life. Yeah, I'm excited though. I think I'm going to go and um, and figure out some primula seed to try. I'm just going to have to find a, a corner of the garden to put it. In, in fact. Before we wrap things up, great excitement. I think my tulip sprengeri might have germinated. Hey, I bought some seed. I've had it in a tray. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've got well, pretty much everything good. else in that tray. I've got baby salvias. I've got a baby sedum. I've got all these things turning up in this seed tray. <laughs> I'll tell you, that, that, that's so exciting when something like that happens. I bought some seed of a an amaryllis, which you can't buy bulbs of, um, uh, epiastrum, and uh, I, vitatum, I think it is. I sowed the seed. They said you get 20 seeds in a packet, and I got about 35, germinated. Um, there's a sad tale to this, is oh. the fact that, the, that they got to be about an inch high, and a mouse ate the whole lot. Um, I didn't throw the seed tray away, and some of the leaves have regenerated. Not on all of them, but, you know, I've got enough for what I want. But there was one seedling impatience in this packet one seed of an impatience in this packet i don't know which one it is yet but the, the plant is now about four inches tall it's making lots of leaf i've taken it out of the seed tray carefully and planted it on its own so, that's exciting i don't know what it's going to be i just <laughs> hope it's not an ugly old thing i think it's going to be something right quite special <laughs> Oh, I'm sure it will be. At least you're ruthless enough that if it isn't something special, unlike me, who would treasure it anyway, at least with you, it'll just be out. <laughs> well, and the other thing is talking about impatience. We had a, I put up on Instagram last year, a picture of an impatience and I put it up as Flanaganii, you see, a species impatience. And then somebody called Chad, who, who um, saw my post from Devon, sent me um, an, an, an email saying, I don't think it is Flanaganii because of this, that and the other. Um, and so I renamed it what he thought it was because I'm, I wasn't sure. Um, and then somebody said to me, that's not so and so, it's Flanaganii. So I put it back again. And then Chad emailed me again and said, I thought I told you about that. And I said, he said, you won't be offended. And I said, not at all. No, if I got it wrong, I want to know. Um, anyway, so it turns out that it is Flanaganii. And they had this one very precious Flanaganii in a pot last year. It started to make egg-shaped tubers on the base of the stem. Well, I took it out of the pot the other day and I've got, I think there were... 12, 30, 40, 50, 16 tubers, each with new shoots coming on them. <laughs> so, we, we, you know, and I'm going to try it outside this year. It may well be hardy. If it makes tubers under the ground and they don't get frosted, it could well be hardy. So this is one to watch for the future. But the, the flower stems are a very long stem and pink. 
um, and really rather lovely. Another shade plant, I feel. Yes. Well, I think I could be about to go down an Empathian's wormhole as well. It's uh, there are so many Flomos out there. I can only apologise to everybody for uh, the amount of money we probably encourage you to spend. If your bank balance is suffering anything like mine, then I'm truly sorry. <laughs> and in fact, I, I, was, I was actually thinking I should go and consult our newsletter for what the name is of the... Uh, the little ajuga I've forgotten. If you want to know what ajuga I'm talking about, go and read our first newsletter because I put it in my show and tell. Uh, so you can find that on the Get Gardening Now website, getgardeningnow.co.uk. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter, which is sort of monthly approximately with some propagation tips and some news from East Ruston and show and tell and uh, just general planty love. That's what we're all about, isn't it, Alan? <laughs> It is indeed. It is indeed. It's infectious. We we really can't help ourselves. And it doesn't really matter whether it's spring, which is the time when most gardeners get the urge to splurge. <laughs> I get the urge to splurge all the time. <laughs> I know. Well, because I think largely because we're always thinking ahead, aren't we? I mean, we we get confronted with these small plants it, it, like you've just been showing everybody, these lovely things. They've got flowers on them. You can see them. You can touch them. You can smell them um, in the spring. But probably later on in the year, we're, we're thinking about buying bulbs and, and plants for to flower the following year. Yeah. Incidentally, you mentioned earlier in this podcast that scamps um, is where you got your narcissi from. Well, I'm afraid their catalogue landed on my desk yes, for the week. mine too. And I've already splurged. I've already splurged. <laughs> Because some of the some of the especially some of the miniature narcissus, um, you know, they are in relatively short supply. So um, it, and it sounds ridiculous when you've got three bulbs for seven pounds fifty or eight pounds fifty or something. But if that, if you don't do that, you won't get them. So it's time to do that. So scamps you order now and they arrive at the end of the summer, beginning of the autumn, and then you plant. Yes, my catalogue is sitting on the kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> calling to me in fact it was a lovely thing I saw in a magazine or somewhere a wonderful narcissus and I thought oh what is that and then I realized it was Beryl and Beryl is in a pot outside my back door waiting to flower so yep. that's the joyful thing if you can actually try some of these things and then you have a flomo and realize you've already got it this is going to sound dreadful Beryl that was my mother's name but it really was <laughs> well, I hope you've got Beryl. <laughs> uh, yes, I think I probably have. <laughs> I think somewhere in your 32 acres, you probably have. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, Beryl and Cantabile, that was something else I got, which um, is a sort of poeticus type, yeah. which I'm excited to see. So uh, there is, I cannot even put into words how exciting this time of year is. I think it's hard to express the, uh, the extreme glee. And in the midst of it all, I'm very lucky to be here on holiday for a week, but I'm going to miss so much progress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it, that, that, that sort of thing happens, but just think of what you'll find when you get back. All, the, all that love, the garden will have changed. At this time of the year, everything changes so quickly yeah. and you don't realise how quickly it is until you do go away. No. So it'll be nice. It'll be a treat. It'll be waiting for me when I get back. But thank you so much, Mr. Gray, for passing on your advice, your planty inspiration. Well, it's, it's, been, it's been thrilling. It's, it's a lovely start to what I, I feel is going to be a very spring-like week. Well, until next time, Mr. Gray, thank you for joining me and letting me show you my planty purchases. Miss Fredrickson, it's been my pleasure. <laughs> until next time, happy gardening. Happy gardening, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening. And we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.